0: You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.
1: Hello, and with me today we have the returns of, he is producer at BFM, he is Simwe Boon. Hello. Great to have you here, Sim. It's been a long time. Yep, thank you for having me. And he's a, uh, a documentary filmmaker, he's a sailor. Um, (laughs) he is Yazid Ahmad. Hi, everyone. Hi. Salam adekha. Uh, yes. Well, that's, that, yes, I'm glad you said that. Because topic number one is, it's a follow-on actually from a previous episode of Bitter Culture, is, is the Malaysia Day story a good story? Topic number two is space technology. And finally, topic number three is what makes a good adaptation? So with uh, topic number one, in a uh, last episode of Better Culture, three West Malaysians, we were, uh, were talking about uh, Malaysia Day versus Hari Merdeka, And wondering why Malaysia Day doesn't have the same grip on the imagination as Merdeka does. And I was wondering if it's, if it's because Malaysia Day's story isn't as good as the Merdeka story. In that the Madoka story had, you know, it's in the middle of the the emergency, you've got communists in the jungle, and then uh, Tunku Abdul Rahman's a really good character. Uh, Granted, he was also there in in the Malaysia Day story. Um, And the whole time I was thinking about you two, actually, because uh, Yazid, you made a, a long series of documentaries, Road to Nationhood, where you were making the story of Malaysia Day. And also, Sim, you're from Sarawak. And uh, you haven't lived there for a long time, but you're a proud Sarawakian. And um, <laughs> he's raising a fist there. <laughs> and uh, so I'm just wondering. So I'll start with you, Yazid. Uh, when you were making the documentary, you, you'd done Medeca, and then you were doing uh, the creation of Malaysia, the, the 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 uh, trying to find the right word, when Sabah and Sarawak joined with Malaya to create. And Malaysia. Singapore too. And, and Singapore, Singapore, sorry, yes. Don't forget and, about them. Yeah, yeah, and Singapore and not Brunei. <laughs> um, uh, when you came to that, did you think, oh, this story's not as good? Yeah. Um, well, uh,
2: let me pose this question back to you before I answer that. It's because what is it like growing up, when you growing up? Like, obviously, you felt that it was not as, 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 as celebratory compared to the Malaysia Day. And was that also since when you were growing up too?
1: Madeka, you I mean?
2: uh malaysia day
1: malaysia day it not
2: as great i mean it was never talked about what you never yeah uh, what was it like for you growing up having malaysia
1: i'll go first because i was i was born in 66 so i was already malaysia was already three years old yeah. when when mm-hmm. i was born so it was already a, a, a fact um mm-hmm. but i I was very young and in kuala lumpur and so i don't know just all the flags came out at Merdeka, and it was like that was the time you don't have two birthdays, you know, <laughs> um, okay. yeah. uh, and I know I didn't think, I didn't know, I was very young. Mm. Uh, mm. I mean, Sim, you uh, you on the other hand, Madeka must be like not a thing, I suppose. In-
0: well, not really. I mean, I did grow up. I didn't grow up in Sarawak. But I did go back like for Chinese New Year, for Gawai, for Christmas, and everything, right? And I do have conversations with the family and friends that happen in Sarawak, you know, throughout the year, right? But you know, as a East Malaysian living in Peninsular Malaysia. Um, you know, for the longest time, Merdeka is always the in the forefront, right? You know, it always feels, even up to now, maybe not of recent late, but I feel like it's more for political reasons than actual real celebration. But it always have felt like we spent all our money on Merdeka and the leftover budget not enough for Malaysia Day. You, you get what I mean? You know? And that's in general I think <laughs> that's a good one. Yeah, you know, it's so so they poured all their money into the fireworks, into the marching, <laughs> whatever for the flags and everything, Merdeka, right? And then when it comes two, three weeks later, you still talk about it, but you know and I think for the longest time many, many people wouldn't would know about it. A lot of people just assumed that Malaysia was foreign. Malaysia, Sabah, Sarawak, everything was in August 31st, you know. And then only as you get older, um, I don't know if this is because um, the government or whoever that's in charge shifted the way the narrative, or only because you became older that you can actually speak on, you know, to your parents or to your older peers about it who may have the knowledge. They're like, actually, did you know that, you know, us Sarawakins and Sabahans, we weren't really official on 31st August? It's only after that. So it's not like a, a knowledge that was pressed on to you as 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 mainstream as the 31st August Merdeka Day. So, for me, growing up, I didn't even know that, you know, Sarawak, Sarawak only joined later. Oh. So, I lived under the assumption for the longest time, uh, you know, that was 31st. But I also get the sense of a feeling that, you know, through the conversations with my family, my relatives right, growing up, Um, not to say that they don't know, but rather more like, it's not to say they don't care, but it's like, you know, like 31st August is the Seminan thing. So, you know, like you talk to us, it's a change topic, you know, like I'll bring it up like, oh yeah, it's holiday. they am like, okay, cool. What did you have for dinner? It's like, it's just a buy and buy like that, you know? Okay. You know, uh, and then the Malaysia Day conversation is either it comes up or it doesn't come up, you know, because uh, I think in general sense, the, and I think you can even tell, right? Of recently, right? This whole nation, nationalistic feeling, is not really as present as it was maybe ten years ago. Yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah.
1: So Yazid, uh, when you were when you were making the documentary, um, it was presumably historically all news to you. But uh, yep. is it a good story?
2: Uh, yes, I mean, in, in, you're not far from the truth. It's like uh, the 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 struggle for independence is much more interesting and much more meaningful. To anyone, in fact, not just Malayan at that time, to anyone who would be involved in it, even the British, who the British officers were involved in, it. it was it was much more interesting because the struggles were real. Uh, so I'm which, not saying
1: which which one was more
2: interesting. Malayan, Malayan independence, right, madeka right. independence, madeka madeka yeah. Malayan independence was much more interesting because there were the struggles were real. The struggle, like you said, 48 emergency there were a lot of like bloodshed and you know worry and you know and then uh, the fact that you know the the country was in in such a state of uh, uh danger so there was a need for anyone to get out of danger so there was a need of a struggle to get out of predicament to, be, to get out of problem uh so so medeka the narrative of medeka was was fortunately part of that and then uh of course People were not feeling free in a way because, uh, because of uh, after the war effect, after the world war effect, people mm. were really wanted to feel, to, to know that they deserve better and they wanted to feel free. So Medika would just fit into that really good story, just like any story. It's that, a clean,
1: that, you know. clean thread. It's a clear yes. thread. Yeah,
2: clear, clear thread, clear story, clear path to where the struggle is going to go.
1: But whereas when you when you go to Malaysia and East Malaysia, then there are so many more characters, so many more different uh, uh, needs and desires from different communities. It becomes political uh, deliberations and discussions, which aren't necessarily so cinematic. I'm, I'm guessing. i guessing.
2: Yes, yeah, that that's that's true too. But coming back to a bit of my point, so after Medaka. Things were actually quite peaceful. And remember, at this time, Sabah and Sarawak, or North Borneo at that time, it's not Sabah, North Borneo at that time was already under the British. And they were they had been, they, uh, like, more than a decade had passed, things have stabilised economically. Uh, they were, in fact, like to be under the British, North Borneo. Um, and also Sarawak, they really liked to be under the British. They were safe, they were protected. Uh so yes yeah, some part, some some communities like the the Malay the Malay communities and some some other tribes actually you know they they in Sarawak they were they did not like the fact that Brooke left okay that's one but that doesn't mean that they were not comfortable under the British so things were already comfortable so when you when things were comfortable there was no need to change so this idea of Malaysia was forced onto them right like because the British needed to decolonize the whole their, their territories, especially in Southeast Asia. So do you see if you don't need something and people force you to do it, will it will it mean something to you? It will mean zero to me. So I'm not, I don't blame the Sarawak, Sarawakan and North Borneo at the time for not wanting to be with Malaysia. And I'm not saying all of them, yeah, but a lot of them voice this, this disagreement with Malaysia.
1: Well, we'll come at the end of this, but I, I want to give the last word to um, our Sarawakian cousin, uh, Sim.
2: Okay, well, I mean, it's
0: it's a, a lot to talk about, but I think from the angle of whether it's a good story, right, I think the perspective can be taken as so. The story of Madeka, the yearning for independence, is a straightforward narrative that you can sell, right? The intricacies that come with Sabah Sarawak, where, you know, all these other details, like whether they want to, they don't want to, they've already been stabilised, there were discussions you know, that, you know, that happened in between. So, you know, when you think of it from an action movie point of view, right, it's not really sexy, I guess. You know, imagine if you're directing a movie, you want to you wanna be a Marvel director, you know, the story that you sell as Merdeka, the you can put all the CGI and effects, everything, and it works, right? But when you try to sit down and try to like oh okay how do we bring the Malaysia Day story in right you know it always feels like a straight to DVD sequel <laughs> you know so I guess when you say that why it's a such this, this is how you can view from a is it a good story angle although I think at the end of the day it's still a very important story to tell. oh yeah
1: for sure for sure it's just it's just the, the telling of it um okay well uh and this story will run and run. Hopefully there will be no more sequels. <laughs> Hopefully it's just, that's <laughs> know it. You know. that. <laughs> okay, well, let's move on to um, something much more up to date. Uh, space technology. Yazid.
2: Okay. Um, I just thought about this yesterday, actually. So, Because I'm actually in the middle of finishing a documentary about satellites. So I felt that I needed to say something about it. I needed to actually because it captured me just like how uh, the, the pictures of independence when, before I started doing Road to nation series captured me. And I know that I needed to say this out loud. And I'm, I believe in by saying it out loud, it will manifest into something. I might actually launch my own Starling to company in the future. I don't know. <laughs> 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 because because this, uh, this space technology is just fascinating knowing that, you know, you could send an object up to into space, and it will be either a few hundred kilometers above us with altitude, um, or it's, it could be as far as 36 to 40,000 kilometers away, which <clears throat> these objects are rotating with us with Earth um, together. and then uh, and providing us a lot of uh, the, the convenience that we have today. Um, for example, Very, I'm I'm gonna pick up something. Google Maps or maps in general that we can it's that is available uh, easily available on a phone right now, uh, or on a laptop. Uh, You could see anything, right? Right now, I mean, I could find my my where I live from Google Map right now easily, but that's actually from satellite technology, the remote sensing satellite. So that means the satellites that captures images from the lower orbit. So the lower orbit actually is about from like about uh, three four hundred kilometers above us in altitude to like about two thousand three thousand kilometers above. So that's the lower orbit. Lower orbit for the satellite. So this satellite is the one that, a- that are able to capture things on Earth. Um, may uh, and also these uh and 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 su- they capture a lot of uh, and ISS the Inter- international space station is actually in that orbit. Yeah, about four. It, it
1: should be said, Yazid, that you very recently, because of your documentary, went to watch the launch of Miasat three, and so you yes, saw
2: three
1: D, 3D, yeah, three D, three D, three D, yeah, three D, three D. The 3D. last one was only in two D. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> a, <laughs> a
2: good question. Shot a
1: cartoon. Yeah. <laughs>
2: So, I um, don't know. It's just a quote, like, you know, it's like okay. NASA 3A, 3B, and then 3D. There's not, uh, I don't think there was 3C yeah. but.
1: Right. So, I mean, you've, you've seen it up front. And, and I'm just thinking, you know, my mother was 23 years old before the first satellite went up. And that was mm. Sputnik. And that just went beep, 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 beep. Mm. Mm. Um, but it's, it, they have so changed the world that we not imagine the world, just like we instinctively think about the world. Uh, I mean, yeah. you know, Sim, you're, you're, a, you're a child of the satellite age can you imagine a world without being able to look down on things
0: well i mean no i can't because you know i grew up looking at things that look into and look up to and i don't know how i would live in a world without ways or google maps cell phone connection or all the things that satellites offer right but an interesting image that i stumbled upon i think a few years back right was there um an image of the earth from space with all the satellites that are in space, because we have over 4,000 satellites in space since Sputnik was launched, right? So they showed an image where, actually, you know, when when you think of uh the image of Earth from space, right, you close your eyes and think about it, right, it's a very nice blue ball, you know. But actually, in reality, with all the satellites around it, right, it's actually, not to say messy, but, you know... Um, yeah, it's a blue ball covered with like little tiny specks of silver all around it. So it's actually not as pretty as you imagined. And I thought it was interesting. And with all the satellites that are still scheduled to launch, I think Starling wants to launch like way more because they want to give like internet all over the world. You know, it's gonna be uh, it's an in- it's gonna be an interesting sight to kind of like look at Earth from the outside, but with all the satellites covering it. So we might see rather than a big blue ball, but a uh, slightly blue with many silver ball which I thought was an interesting perspective. And I don't know, what's the long-term impact of having so many satellites in space, right? You know, with the whole space degree pollution and all that jazz.
2: Hmm. It's a, They call it a constellation now. Because ah. That's how much they are. I mean, how many okay. they are. So it's a, it's more than 10,000 now. So oh, really? Okay. all right. Well, uh, the last I checked it, was four.
1: It, and, and Starlink plans to do an extra 40,000. You're yeah, saying.
0: so, you know, yeah, more than 10,000, 40,000, so many, right? How would that change the night sky is also, or the morning sky, right? You know, so, I mean,
2: I'm not yeah. a scientist. But or y-
1: Yazid, you're, you're a fan of uh, Starlink? Uh,
2: um, I, I like the technology. I think it's brilliant, having lower orbit satellite. Again, I need, I need to, I need to uh, clarify why, uh, why lower orbit is better. It's lower orbit is better, obviously, because it's closer to Earth. And the lag, I think, internet lagging, the, the, uh, the what do lag you time. call it? Lag time. Yeah, the lag time is lower compared to those who are actually in the middle, NEO, they call it middle Earth orbit, and the GEO, which is geostationary, which is the one above 30,000 kilometers above. So the geostationary, it is, is, is has a, a higher lag time compared to the LEO. So, of course, the geostationary is is much more it, they can la- they they can be there for up to 18 years and which is great uh like mia Set 3d is going to be there at least for 18 years so that's a long time like having to operate one device which is a, as big as a uh toyota Alpha. uh is actually uh, uh you know in, in in that in in for that long huh. so but uh, they have a higher lifetime. time but yeah. again it's not it's not as, pro- as as much of a as a problem if you you just want to stream thing or you want to you want to serve but it will be a problem if you want to it would be a bit of a problem if you want to play live game for example so that's just the just just the pro and cons of this uh this different altitude satellites
1: yeah but you um you raise the interesting point that the space technology unit of measurement is a toyota Alphard. i didn't know that (laughs)
2: Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, I didn't know until one of the engineers told, told me. Yeah, "Do you know what Toyota fart?" And then, yeah, that's how big our satellite is. I'm like, "Oh, okay." okay. All right, well, <laughs> and then yeah. I'll be like, "The back seat is the fuel tank."
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I had no idea. I feel so much yeah. cleverer now for that. But um, the low Earth orbit orbit, the, the yeah. downside is that it can only cover a, a small part yeah. of Earth, whereas the, yeah. the 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 high Earth orbit can carry like cover the, yeah, the entire 30. planet in one shot.
2: Uh, it can cover one-third of the planet. So if you're a satellite operator, you only need three to actually cover the whole world.
1: And the MIRSAT-3D is, is geostationary over Malaysia, yeah. presumably.
2: Over Asia-Pacific. They cover one-third of the world. So it covers, the, I think, up to Africa.
1: And uh, mm. for those people who are still subscribing to Astro, welcome to the show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, does that mean that when it rains, they, they, they no longer lose reception?
2: <laughs> uh, that one, uh, I'm, I'm not in a position to I talk think about it. That's because... the only thing they want to know.
0: I think that's with the satellite dish, not the satellite itself. Yeah. It doesn't read in yeah. space. It's,
2: it's not the satellite, it's the frequency. Yeah. that's This is something I can say. This frequency, the higher frequency, the more problem with these... Uh, interference disturbance like clouds and rain so the lower the frequency lower frequency is actually better so they're actually working with ku band astro which is the you know the higher frequency because they need the dish to be smaller because the government wanted the dish to be small not big like other countries they don't like you know ugly big dishes around so that's why they needed to use a higher frequency where big if you i don't know i mean same if you when you travel back to Sarawak back then, there were yeah, a lot and of people Yeah, there's the huge the ones. The ones that, yeah, the ones that yeah, can catch like mm,
0: <laughs> I don't know whether <laughs> they're illegal one, or
2: not, but we see a lot yeah. of them. Yeah, Mostly illegal. Yeah, those yeah. one can actually work under the rain. Yeah, because yeah, they are yeah. lower frequency that's why the dish is bigger so they can actually catch a lot it's, more it's frequency. like
0: some quali to make dodol and like, it's huge <laughs> and like yeah you can yeah. get like thousands and thousands of channels and they were having that like 10 yeah. years ago man Like, yeah, yeah I mean, they're great Australia. but
1: also so alien first contact would have happened in Sarawak then
0: oh uh, yeah possibly yeah,
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. well we, so, we must move on but I mean we just gotta wonder imagine if they all went offline what would we do end Ooh. of
0: civilization
1: yeah uh, well, We'd be killing each other. I would what, come over but, to your place what, to kill you. Just but because. you couldn't find
2: my place because you wouldn't be able to get a grab or you wouldn't be able to That's find true. your way.
1: That's true, yeah.
2: But, okay, I just give a little bit. Like, you know, what's interesting is this: these things have lifespan, right? So after 18 years, what happened? They actually used the leftover fuel and send it above, like, above, like 300 kilometers above where they are at. And over there, they call it space graveyard.
1: Right. Oh. That's so, where
2: they send all the dead satellites. So it's just like landing there. Yeah, it's just floating oh, there. Okay. And then it's very dangerous because they're more and more of them getting sent there because they're at the end of their life, right? So, and then what's most interesting to me with my colleague when I when we were in front, well, French Guiana talking, we were like, can you imagine how much gold that we can get? Yeah. From those devices, and then if we could actually invent a spaceship and go and get those things and bring back the gold. and then uh you know one of the engineers say oh you you know they're gonna be raised too far you know uh they're gonna be burned before you end before you get to earth because of re-entry you need you know, a certain shield or something. But, you
0: know? but not only that, right? Imagine if aliens do decide to visit us, right? And they stumble on Earth or nearby Earth, right? And because of all this space junk all around us, right? Yeah. You know, they're yeah. trying to make first contact. You know, if you're trying to meet someone that you're going to Me. meet for the first time, right? And discover that that person's a slob. Like you go to the house yeah. and like outside <laughs> is just rubbish everywhere. <laughs> first thing you do is like, oh hell no, wow, I'm, not, I'm not saying hello to this guy, you know? So i I have that them. perception now <laughs> because on Earth, all our space junk is outside. The aliens come in, they are be like, these people don't know how to clean up after their houses.
1: Yeah, Yeah. But it would be really, I mean, isn't there, in the movies, it's never happened, but it would be really cool if first contact literally was to a long house in Sarawak. Yes. And then, and then they try to piece together who these people are. That'd be fantastic. Um, well, we must leave it there. And uh, and I think we've also learned why uh, Yazid will never be a space technology multi-billionaire. Because he has some very strange <laughs> ideas. Um, so, uh, but in a moment, we're going to talk about uh, adaptations here on A Bit of Culture, BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam, Raslan, Yazid Ahmad, and uh, Sim Boon. And now, Sim, uh, adaptations.
0: Yeah, so uh, I want to talk about adaptations because, I mean, the question is what makes a good adaptation? And I guess, are you guys generally okay with watching adaptations, right? The latest being, I think the popular one is The Sandman, uh, the one that adapted from Neil Gaiman's uh, graphic novel, But also, um, there's an upcoming Lord of the Rings series uh, produced, directed, backed by Amazon. And that also has drawn a lot of flag. I mean, even The Sandman, when it was first announced by Netflix, right? uh, You know, a lot of people had their fair shares of criticism. So, you know, this question is like... Adaptations, are they ever good? Do you guys generally enjoy it? And why is it always... Why are people protective of, or you know, overly critical of it, right? So, I don't know, like Cam, Yazid, do you guys have an adaptation that you enjoy or do you guys swear off adaptations and only stick to the originals?
1: Ooh, ah. Hmm. I, so many things that we've watched have been adaptations without us thinking about it or knowing it. That um, too, yes. But uh, immediately comes to mind is uh, Peter Weir's movie Master and Commander. Which I'm sure he has. watched as a sailor, he must have watched that one. Um, yeah, That's a shit.
0: Russell Crowe one, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. It's a, adapted from um, uh, what's the name? P- uh, Patrick O'Brien's books. And uh, and there was an interesting thing that uh, Peter Weir, who's one of the great filmmakers, said was uh, he, a whole series of books. And what he had to do was he lifted up the book and he had to shake it out and shake out all the 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 dialogue because that was really all he could use. Uh, All the interior monologue and everything, he couldn't use that. The Atmosphere, language, can't use that in film. You just go with plot. Mm. And when you just get plot from many of these books, you realize there's not much there. (laughs) They're not really that great. So I love uh, John le Carré. But if you just boil it down to just the plot, that's not... That's not what's great about a John le Carre so, so
0: are you okay then for liberties to be taken on adaptations, right? I think because you have to. a lot you of excuses to. given most of the time is that this won't work on TV. This won't work in movies, you know. So that's why we can't do it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Yazid, I mean, you know, a documentary filmmaker, but a filmmaker nonetheless. Maybe that's why he makes documentaries, because
0: yeah, well. he can't do adaptations. He can't live <laughs> with them. <laughs>
2: Yeah, yeah, well, we adapt the what real story and make it into film, right? I mean, that's, that's just what we do. But speaking of adaptation, I remember watching the Memoirs of a Geisha. Mm-hmm. And I read the book first. And then when I watched the film, it's yeah. so, so bad.
0: So what and about it was think, bad? Like, what made it a poor
2: adaptation for you? I think first is, I guess my, I guess, I you know, I couldn't take Zhang Ziyi. Yeah. The fact okay. that Zhang Ziyi is Chinese. You know, I don't, I don't think I could yeah. actually shake my head off with that because images, you know, when you adapt something like, you know, from a book and then now you put it in images, when you read the book, you already have images, image, image yeah. of who's the, who's the protagonist is. Uh, and then it's a, it's a in Japanese lady. She's nice and. You know, she's you know she has to go through all this and she's she may look like she must be pretty but you know a bit pitiful look and yeah, stuff yeah. so but then Zhang Ziyi and then after all the films that she starred in before I'm like oh man she is not this girl that I thought. <laughs> Off when, I, when I when I read the book. I mean that was one of the one of the biggest problem with that adaptation and I think I don't think I watch any more adaptation <laughs> after that although I was very careful with watching adaptation, especially when I've already read the book. just like what happened with was that guy named the guy that actually landed his plane on a river of uh, the in New York on the river uh, uh,
1: Sully Sully
2: Sully yeah Sully I read the nonfiction book first. And then when I watched the movie, which is fiction adaptation of the nonfiction story, and I'm like, Sully was not that dramatic. Sully was not worried if he's going to lose this or he's going to go to jail. No, he was a very cool guy as a real person. Of course, in any film, they have to dramatize the protagonist in order to make people feel Something about this character, right? Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm like, I hated it. I hated Sally. I will never watch it again.
0: So oh, I think, okay. yeah, I think sometimes I think the the issue is right when adaptations are adapted from real stories, right? That's when I also agree that like you know the taking of liberties and dramatization is not to say kind of weird, but it's like if it if you already thought the story wasn't really gonna work on TV, then why bother doing it anyway, right? You know, like for me, um. I much... And I, I, I think I agree with you know Yazid on that. Like, Sally was like, you know... Yeah, it was kind of weird why you did that. You didn't really need to do that, you know. So, um, I can get where you can... But I think for some people... Like, for me, when it comes to fictional adaptations... Where you adapt a fictional story from a book, or a song, uh, a, a, a comic book... And you do it onto a movie... Um, liberties are allowed to be taken for me, and I don't think you have to be too serious with the casting and the and the uh, you know the storytelling and everything, right? Of course, then this raises the whole question, right? Like the Lord of the Rings one that that's coming out, right? You know, a lot of people or hardcore fans, some of them, not all of them, you know, like, oh, why do we need uh, dark skin elves and dark skin dwarves? Why do we need female? You know. And I think questions like that—I don't know. I mean, maybe as a millennial, I feel like they're not really that necessary because it doesn't <clears> really change the character from this fictional storybook <laughs> that's being written, right? It's sure, not. It does, it does
1: ask questions, though. Like, what is the geography of the Shire? Um, you know, I, I kind of, I kind of, you know, I got okay, the Shire's there. It's that bit, and then suddenly, oh, there was a, there's a sort of, you know, how do these other people sort of turn up in the Shire?
0: Well, I guess we'll find out in uh, <laughs> but no, but then again you see that's the thing right. If I think also right um when people read a fictional book or they read a fictional work right there are like okay like Harry Potter when he was being adapted right you know um the Harry Potter movies the characters that are being shown on TV the actors and actresses they actually look nothing like the actual uh book how it was described, you know, like Hermione really? doesn't look like uh, Emma Emma, Emma Roberts or whatever, uh, or uh, Emma, uh, Emma Watson, yeah, yeah. yeah. Watson, you know, yeah. yeah, in reality, so there were people that were angry about it, there were people that find about it, I mean, from where I'm standing, is like, it doesn't really change the story at the end of the day, you know, I mean, yes, the story, in terms of the plot line, some liberties were taken, but it doesn't change the overall storytelling, you know, so I guess for me, you know, good adaptations uh, are about kind of like making the overall story the name of story better and you know if it creates a new audience where you watch the movie and you like the movie and then you go read the book i think that's overall good and you just gotta learn to separate it but but for real stories uh that that i can see why things would be complicated because these are real actual events so if you're gonna take it and twist it and dramatize it right then that can get a bit like i guess sensitive
1: yeah, I, it reminds me of two things. One is that um, I was complaining to a friend of mine about Nescafe. I hate Nescafe. It's not coffee. It's disgusting. Anyway, well, just bear with me.
0: It's 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 a drink. It's like a mixed drink. Like well,
1: I, well, he made that point. He said you mustn't think of it as being coffee, but as its own thing called yeah instant coffee. And once you accept that, then it it is nice in its own way.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I, I enjoy Nescafe more so because um. I, I grew up with it, my dad drank yeah. it, you know, so when you right. sip on it, it's like, oh, okay, it's comforting. You know? So that's an
1: adaptation of sorts, isn't it? Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> the worst one that I watched, from what you're saying, is uh, Zodiac. Um, oh, the, mo-
0: the, the, the movie, the killer movie, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: so Zodiac, uh, directed by uh, Fincher, who's uh, David Fincher, who's a great filmmaker. But, and I think that he was trying to do something very difficult. He wanted to challenge himself. Because in this 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 movie, the murderer, true-life murderer in San Francisco in the 70s, I think, he, he killed many people, but he was never found. So you have this uh, newspaper newsroom, different people sort of like tracking him. But you're never going to get the satisfaction of of finding the killer. And all these newspaper newsroom people ultimately... All their efforts were for nothing because they, did, they achieved nothing.
0: <laughs> they got no answers in the yen
1: no answers they got no nearer than anyone else, and then you they they inserted into the movie these kind of fake tension moments which were nothing and so, and and to me, that was a dreadful adaptation
2: I hated that movie
1: mm. yeah, by a very good filmmaker. Mm. Um, yep. so, oh, so yeah, again, it's
0: like dramatization for drama. I mean when it when that happens that way right their argument is like, to make a good movie right then for me it's like so you're just to make money lah you know you're not actually there to kind of like well, re-
1: I think it was worse in the, the case story, of Zodiac. Right? I think that the only because the only kind of documentary fact moments that they could really run with and they did were the actual murders themselves so they dramatized the murders and th- therefore it was utterly gratuitous uh, you know torture of women and stuff and it was like that's really all you got mm. that's really what all this movie is but Cam don't you think that he redeemed himself with Seven uh, Seven was earlier wasn't it no after
2: Seven, Seven. was great
0: I love Seven but Seven, Seven was great. fictional right it wasn't that big oh, yeah. from a real I don't think I don't think
2: so but what I'm saying that very very similar like uh, plot line like you know like mystery murder and stuff
1: yeah I'm, no David Finch is a great filmmaker Mm. Uh, and, and you know he made you know a, a bad movie but
0: uh, everyone but, has their bad days maybe yeah. 7 was the Zodiac movie he wanted to make
1: yeah I'm pretty sure 7 was first and then Zodiac came later really? I think so okay interesting yeah. um, okay well Sim finish what's a good adaptation say one
0: uh, what's a good adaptation that uh, I like Dune
1: The the new
0: one the new Dune yeah
1: have you read the book though?
0: I've read the book. I've read all the books. Uh, I've watched the, uh, what's that? Director the... David David Lynch. uh, David Lynch version. Uh, I actually enjoyed that because it was so campy and ridiculous. But I think it wasn't really that great of an adaptation. I think Dune was a better adaptation. Of course, they did take some liberties again. But Where I'm Coming From again is fictional. But it was a very enjoyable watch. And I think they honoured the work well. um, The Sandman, the latest series as well, I thought it was good as well. I'm a fan of the comic books. Uh, I've read the comic book as well. Um, Actually, it's part of my recommendation, so I don't know if I should okay. finish now. Finish All right, well,
1: the- uh, Say no more. Uh, Yazid, good, good adaptations you can think of?
2: Oh, gosh. Um... I, as I as I told you, I think I was uh, I was traumatized by uh, <laughs> Memoirs of a Geisha. I'm like, I don't know what good adaptation is right right now anymore, and I don't even want to remember so just, it.
1: Just leave there those was, books alone. Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Just, well, not all. I think I'm pretty sure there are some good ones, but it's just uh, there probably there's some good ones where the film was actually better told than the but than the book, right? For so sure. I just yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm just I just still discovering. Still
1: discovering. Yeah. and I just say Master and Commander. I think. And I think that's better than the books actually. Um so uh we'll move on though to uh the final part of the show, recommendations, where we recommend something that we think might be of interest, and I go first. And mine's a uh, TV drama series that is on Netflix half my life, far too much of my life anyway, is spent flicking through Netflix, trying to find something. And and so I found this thing. It's a German one. It's a German TV thing called Cleo or Cleo. It's about East German uh, secret service operative called Cleo Straub. And she is betrayed during East German times. And then she gets out and uh, looks for the people who set her up. And um, so that makes it sound like one of those typical shoot, running around shooting people, secret agent type things it's not like that at all it's it's much more nuanced than that and uh you know it's about it's also about the end of uh, a nation a lot of people believed in east germany and they had a nation and then suddenly it was gone and their livelihoods and their beliefs were just gone and so it's about that as well uh so it's called cleo and I, it's it's really good it's stylish funny peculiar she the lead actress excellent and uh I highly recommend it. Uh uh Yazid, what's yours? Um,
2: well, it is it is a Medika month, right? And I hope you don't mind that I'm plugging in again the story of Malaysia Day. Um, and of course I don't want to say it so much, you can go and watch Road to Nationhood, but watch it not because of it's this is my documentary, but watch it to actually really know why Malaysia Day is Malaysia Day. And in my own opinion, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, there has to be your opinion or your fact, you know, uh, that uh, the role of Singapore was so important in the the whole formation. And that's why when Singapore left, the meaning of Malaysia, they became different, Mm. you know. And of course, to the politician of Sarawak, of North Borneo at that time, when Singapore left, they felt that they were being shortchanged because Singapore was about to bring prosperity to their state, or mm. at that time, territory. Mm. Uh, so uh, that's that's the reason why I think, I think in my own personal opinion as, as, as the filmmaker, as my team and I, we've done a lot of research, talked to a lot of people, talked to the people who were making policies, who were part of the discussion of Malaysia Day at that time, uh, which is different than what may have, may have been written in school books or some, 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 some factual books that you can find. So, uh, so yeah. Please go and watch. And knowing the fact that uh, you know, thirty first August also means a lot for uh, means a lot for the Sabah and Sabahan because that was when they signed the fact that they got independence. Singapore's independence is thirty first of August, nineteen sixty three. So is North Borneo and Sarawak. This has played down in history for many reasons, and one of them is political reason. Is because it does you know because being associated with this thing called Malaysia. Or Malayan government is 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 quite is quite a problem because of politics. Nothing you know, there's nothing wrong with having Malaysia. It's just politics. While political history after Malaysia, after Singapore left, had become so toxic that people don't want to remember this Malaysia day anymore. Hmm. So uh, again, Singapore was independent on 31st August. So is Nibong So was Sarawak. So it was just laid down in the history for political reason.
1: Yeah. Hey, uh, Yazi, can you ask, uh, uh, answer one question that comes to mind is during that brief moment when Malaysia had Singapore as well, what was the capital of Malaysia? Kuala Lumpur. It was always Kuala Lumpur.
2: And Singapore was like New York of America.
1: The the New York it's, to yeah. Washington, D.C. New, yeah. New York,
2: which is financial cap- capital. And then Kuala Lumpur is Washington, D.C. Yeah.
1: So how do we watch this uh, documentary? Uh
2: Oh, that's a good. That's question. a good point. Let's go. <laughs> How do we
1: do it? We go okay, to Yazid's house. I watch it now. Use, so. Yeah, use, knock on his door. <laughs> use,
2: yeah, use the geostationary satellite that we have, which is Miasat, which means Astro, um, and uh, and watch it there <laughs> on on the Astro site. I'm pretty, yeah. I think I think they're they're probably playing playing again and again every year. They're playing these things over and over again. Hmm. So just just watch it over there. Yeah.
1: Okay, that is simultaneously one of the best and worst recommendations we've ever had because we have no idea how to actually access the recommendation. But uh, just so it's,
0: like Malaysian history, it's elusive.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's the uh, Yazid's documentary, "Wrote to Nationhood." If you can find it, folks. Um, and Sim what's your recommendation
0: so I was like I was saying I was going to recommend The Sandman uh, the latest hit series uh, on Netflix um, and I, I think it's a decent adaptation it's very ethereal they deal with concepts of life death dreams hope um, yeah go go watch it enjoy it really nice dinner movie it's about like nine ten episodes there's an episode bonus episode on cats so cat lovers out there will probably enjoy it so yeah I, do, I, I recommend it for a weekend watch after dinner watch yeah
1: Oh, okay. Got cats. All right. I'll check it out. Sandman. Mm, okay. Uh, Yazid, uh, Sim also told us how we could actually watch it as well. So Just bail it in no. there next time,
2: okay? <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's uh, Sandman, um, which is uh, available on Netflix.
0: Netflix. Yeah, it's available on Netflix. Yeah. Uh,
1: so that brings us to the end of this week's show and uh, only remains me now to thank Ahmad Yazid. Thank, thank you so you. much.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, uh, I have a lot more to say, but I'll hold it to the next session.
1: Next time, yeah, yeah. Yes, and Simway Boon. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. And myself, Cam Rustlands. And so please join us next week for another exciting episode of Bitter Culture here on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast
0: from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.